I'm one of those creative thinkers. I like to think big. I like to create new. You know, all those profiles I've done professionally make me that creative person. I like to drive innovation and change. I wanted us to grow internationally, but I also wanted us to try cautiously because having seen how we had to go through the process of expanding into chapters in the U.S., that was a feat. And to go internationally into all different countries where you have language barriers and currency barriers and lots of other hurdles, we thought this was the best approach. This is Associations Thrive, the podcast celebrating successful associations and their leaders. I'm your host, Joanna Pineda, CEO and Chief Troublemaker at Matrix Group International. Listen in as top association executives tell all, revealing the creative and innovative ways they're increasing membership, generating revenue, nurturing engagement, and reimagining their organizations. By the way, if you've launched a new initiative, created new member services, or updated your governance structure and are seeing great results, I want to hear your story and so do my listeners. I'd love to have you as a guest. Go to podcast.matrixgroup.net and apply to be on Associations Thrive. Now let's dive into this week's show. Today, I'm speaking with Alison Grayless president and founder of the Women in Manufacturing Association, or WIM. Allison, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Hey, so tell us about WIM. So Women in Manufacturing Association, or as we do fondly call it, WIM, we are the only global association year-round working to support, promote, and inspire women in industry. We created the organization, I created the organization more than a decade ago specifically to fill a niche because there was not a community for women in industry or manufacturing to connect to or to align with. So first started really for a purpose of community building. And over the last 13 years, we have now grown to be this full service trade association that meets women kind of where they are in their career. So at all levels, and as well has created itself as a great ally to manufacturing companies who are working to recruit and retain and advance their female talent. So, Allison, is it the case that within the manufacturing sector, there's a need for more women, or is it a situation where you want to assist women in moving up? Like, what's the challenge there? So, the manufacturing sector is male dominated, like many other industries. And when I started the organization, again, the goal was to connect women, but also at that same juncture to look at how do we help women rise? So how do we help them and support them as they strive to advance or to improve their situation or career and trajectory? But also, how do you recruit more women into industry? So women make up present day about 30% of the manufacturing workforce. There's more than 3 million women in manufacturing careers in all different roles and responsibilities. And that's modestly grown since we started our work. So when we first started as a trade association and an initiative, we were about 23, 24%. So modest growth, we don't attribute that all to ourselves. Obviously, more women are finding out about manufacturing through lots of different vehicles. But the goal is to not only get to maybe 50% or more of the workforce, but I think equally important, if not more important, is to have more women in leadership. So we know that you know women in leadership can be great role models for other women who maybe didn't see themselves in a leadership role until they saw that leader. And then as well, we know women leaders can influence culture and policies and create manufacturing spaces and companies and facilities to be more inclusive places to work. Allison, in some sectors of manufacturing, they've left the U.S. 
So your membership is global. How much of your membership is U.S.-based versus global? We're predominantly U.S.-based. So as we first got started as an association, we only welcomed U.S. members. And it really wasn't until this period of pandemic 2020 on where because of the virtualization of our programming, we were able to reach people now in all different countries who were connected to U.S.-based members. So we found that our member companies in the U.S. were sharing information about WIM to their international facilities and women and men as well were starting to dial in virtually to many of the programs that we were offering. So we now have members in almost 60 countries and close to, I think, 1,200 international members of the Women Manufacturing Association. And just this year, we started with their expansion of programming at inter-international locations. So we had our first program in March in Zweibrück in Germany. And we then now have four others planned for this year. So we next are heading to Barcelona, Spain, and then we're going to Tokyo. And then from there, going to Buc, France, and then to Brazil. So what we're trying to do is expand in a conservative way. So, you know, we have 32 chapters all throughout the United States. And so we, as we started to have this huge interest from our membership to say, we need you and your organization where we have facilities overseas. We are trying to do this in a kind of corporate sponsored vehicle and entity. So how we're leveraging this is rather than standing up unique chapters in different countries or creating a WIM Europe or a WIM in other countries, we're actually using companies to host our own programs and to kind of test waters in different locations where we have growing numbers of members. So we did that, for example, as I mentioned, in March in Germany. And thereby, we had a corporate member who hosted us for this program, but it was open to all members in that region. So it included a facility tour, educational sessions, keynotes, almost a mini conference. But we didn't have to necessarily create an entity yet, but instead just growing a movement and awareness of our organization before starting anything more formalized. Boy, that's brilliant because you immediately have corporate support. You have staffing. You probably have facilities right. to host the event, and they've got the infrastructure. Correct. And so that's where it was first daunting. So I'm one of those creative thinkers. I like to think big. I like to create new. You know, all those profiles I've done professionally make me that creative person. I like to drive innovation and change. I wanted us to grow internationally, but I also wanted us to try cautiously. Because having seen how we had to go through the process of expanding into chapters in the U.S., that was a feat. And to go internationally into all different countries where you have language barriers and currency barriers and, and lots of other hurdles, we thought this was the best approach. So it is low risk having a corporate entity host us. And then as well, it's allowing us in a more kind of seamless way to deliver a WIM experience to members that are all over the globe. So we only have one under our belt so far. But we're really excited about these next few that we have scheduled. And again, these are all corporate hosted by members that we work with already and we have a great relationship with. And so it's really just taking it to the next level of, you know, it's a win-win. We're bringing WIM to this region or to this country or area, and they as well can now bring WIM to their employees and their workforce. I'm listening to all the things that you're doing and you call it cautious growth. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Allison. Let's talk about your journey because you're the founder of this organization. How did that come to be? So tell us about your history. Tell us about your journey. Yeah. So I've been doing trade association work for 22 years. I had no idea what trade associations were in all honesty. So when I went to college, I was an English pre-law women's studies major. I planned to go to law school. I then at the last minute senior year decided I didn't want to go to law school. 
and alternatively found an opportunity with a not-for-profit at the local career fair on campus Ah. and decided I wanted to do something a bit different. There were so many of my peers going to law school and I thought, do I want to be another attorney? Or I was always very committed to change and I always wanted to create things and I like to be a creator. And so I thought, wow, this opportunity that I found at this career fair, I got to do grassroots organizing. I got to work in public policy, environmental issues. I thought, this sounds really intriguing and cool. Why not try it at least for a year? So I did that. I moved to Boston and actually worked at Amherst College in UMass Amherst doing campus organizing and loved the experience, had great exposure and great training, but realized it was kind of just a single year that I needed before I went and tried to make a career of some of these passion projects of, again, creating mobilizing, organizing people around a common cause with all with an ultimate goal to create change and positivity and improvement for others. And so went there, went back to grad school back in Ohio. And then from there, thought I'd go into administration, thought I'd go into working for the government or at the time I was working for a mayor's office in economic development and found this opportunity to work for a trade association. So had no idea what it was, how they were structured, but loved it because my first position with the trade association was at campus, taking those campus organizing skills and working with their local districts or chapters. So I was a chapter organizer. I got to work with all of their local volunteer leaders and loved the position. Got to travel the country in my young 20s and got to work with business owners and leaders to create events and programs that, again, were improving the profitability and the way that these companies were ran and as well to improve people's perceptions around manufacturing. And in this instance, it was metal forming and loved the career. And while I worked in this organization, found that there were a lot of women, but not as many as I would have liked, who were in metal forming careers and had a female chairperson, our first and only sadly ever a female chairperson that the organization had in 2010. And she liked the concept of bringing together some women in metal forming. So we did some roundtables, some virtual events, like business calls that we would do or benchmarking calls some social events. And from there, I did research and found that there wasn't a national entity just generally supporting women in industry or manufacturing. So being a bit of an innovator and entrepreneur, I decided to do the due diligence, do the research, buy a website. (laughs) And I said, I think there's something here, which is generally women in manufacturing. Ah. So created a business plan of how to structure an association after we first held a kickoff event called our summit to kind of, again, test the waters. Was there interest in us helping support women in manufacturing generally? Is there interest in something like this organization? And and yes, there was. There was 133 women that attended and many more that sadly couldn't attend, but on their feedback forms and through dialogue at the live conference, they said, we want a year-round association. How can we join? And I said, oh, yes, they want to join. They do want this full-service type of structure and association. So again, created the framework by which we started welcoming members. And at first it was just individual membership. And then over time, we've now grown to many different classes of membership, including retired, individual professional membership. We have corporate affiliated membership, student membership. And then we as well now have corporate membership at three different tiers, which is our largest tier and growing group of memberships. So we're not a traditional trade association in that we're all just corporate members. We have a hybrid of corporate membership and then individual classes of membership, which is at first challenging, but it's also been of great benefit because you have different constituents that, again, when we look at ourselves and our services, we're servicing companies through corporate membership who have specific desires to attract and retain and advance their female talent. And then we're also individually focused that we want to make sure that we're supporting these women individually in their careers to have a great trajectory and great lifeline in this industry. 
Allison, what an amazing journey. And so here you are, 13 years later, you're growing and thriving house membership. Our membership has dramatically increased over the last few years. I didn't share the story that when I first started my career in trade association work, I was with another association. I had the amazing luxury of having a very visionary leader at the time of that association who allowed me to incubate WIM inside this other association for our first few years. Ah. So without just standing up an association altogether by itself, I was given the support by the association president at the time and as well their board of directors to incubate women in manufacturing as kind of a networking group for the first year or two within this other association called PMA, Precision Metal Forming Association. And then as soon as we really started to kind of divert from something that was small and as well something that was completely aligned with their mission and vision, which was more about metal forming companies, and this was about manufacturing women, we then created a formal trade association and obviously filed all the necessary paperwork. I then took it from kind of a concept of mine and a creation to then having a fiduciary board, which was a whole experience of kind of going from an advisory to then a real legal board. But in that journey and through that period, I was always having two roles. So I was the vice president of the other association, the president and founder of WIM. And I did that for many years and it was grueling. It was greatly rewarding, but it was very difficult to have two sets of boards of directors, two sets of constituents, having very different kind of divergent needs and maturity levels of the organization. So it was kind of running a startup while at the same time working with a very mature trade association. So it was rewarding, but challenging. And at a certain juncture, I realized I need to step away from that other association and and really be full-time with the Women in Manufacturing Association. Obviously, the budget of the Women in Manufacturing Association had to be big enough to have direct staff. So it was you know, timing was interesting because in 2019 is when I gave notice to say, okay, it's time for me and my board is ready for me to go full-time with WIM, who knew that a pandemic was right around the corner. So as I as I resigned in November of 2019, I then was full on the job on April 1 of 2020 was my first day as fully dedicated president of the Women in Manufacturing Association. April 1, 2020. Yes at the start of the pandemic. So I'll never forget my last hurrah annual meeting with the other association was in Hawaii in March, right as things were starting to get really tumultuous and things were shutting down. And I thought, what have I gotten myself into? <laughs> Started April 1 with this new journey of being 100% dedicated to WIM. But you know, pandemic proved to be such a blessing to our organization. Not only did it allow me to not be traveling and to be kind of all in and reevaluating our operations and our processes and how we do things and also to have that time to vision the future of WIM over these last few years. But as well, it allowed me the opportunity to have kind of that time to build staff and also to be there and accessible as we needed to pivot a lot of the ways that we do things. So our success had always been in producing live meetings, which obviously the pandemic made that pretty difficult or completely impossible. So I had an amazing meeting as an events group, which again, our team is small. We're now 11 people. At that time, we were about four people, 100%. And that small meetings group of two people were able to quickly pivot to take what was our annual meeting and make it a completely virtualized event with interactive components and virtual plant tours. And again, at that time, we were able to now welcome people from all over the globe to be part of our conference, which was amazing. So when you ask about membership, you know, these last three years have been such a journey for us, not only having a larger team size grow to support our growing membership, but we've tripled the size of our organization in the last three years. Wow. 
So we've gone from the low 200s of corporate members to now almost 400 corporate members that we have as an organization. We're close to 20,000 individual members. So we have grown hugely over the last few years. I think there's lots of contributing factors. I think one, because we made that smart decision to embrace technology, to virtualize everything we were doing, our chapters as well, they were amazing and that they switched immediately to virtual programming. So they were their most active, interestingly enough, during 2020 and 21. They had more than 250 programs they were producing. They were doing weekly meetings with some of the chapters to provide support and guidance. And then we as well stepped in quickly and said, okay, we know companies and individuals within our membership ranks are struggling and they're challenged with pandemics. So how can we help? So we created things like community chats, which were weekly chats that we offered to our members just to get together with people who were peers, colleagues, and with other companies to talk about how are you folks coping? How are you dealing with policies? How are you dealing with testing? Like really timely information and providing them this huddle that they could go to in a safe space with whim that we produced for them to have these chats and these dialogues. And we brought in guest experts for these community chats. We also pivoted on the recruiting front. We knew that companies were challenged with recruiting. Obviously, recruitment's been a long, long time challenge for manufacturing companies. But even during pandemic, it worsened. Companies weren't able to go to campuses to recruit. They weren't able to have these open fairs and communities because of COVID restrictions. So we actually jumped and pivoted to create a new product or service called virtual career fairs, which we now produce three times annually. So that was something, again, a response to the need of our member companies saying, we need help recruiting. How can you help? We already had a job board. And then this was meant to complement that. And then as well to meet that recruiting need that they had. And then another big issue that we tackled during pandemic was we heard from our corporate member, manufacturing members, that they were challenged with the retention and the advancement of their women in production roles. So if you look at women in manufacturing classifications and titles, a lot of these women sit in hourly wage earning positions. So we spent two years almost creating a program just for manufacturing companies to help empower women in production level roles. It has been hugely successful. It just launched in 2021. And we've had now more than 300 graduates of this program. We have wait lists and we sell out of every single program we offer. And again, it it was a direct result of the need of our members and quickly coming up with a plan and how to optimize the knowledge within our manufacturing member base to create a product and service that was timely and needed. Growth like this just doesn't happen, right? So you're producing all of these programs and clearly your members are eating it up. But you got to get known to other companies so that they become members as well. So how are they finding you? It's been a journey. When we first got started, it was amazing to talk to people in the industry. And they're like, we've never heard of WIM. We've never heard of this organization. Right. Because growth is ultimately going to come from new companies finding you and deciding to join. Correct. You know, we've had a trajectory of, again, rapid growth over the last three years. People are finding us through a few different ways. I think one is that we are very outward bound when it comes to conferences, industry events, trade shows. I do a whole bunch of speaking engagements. So I think over the last three years, I've done 100 plus speaking engagements, and that could include panels, keynotes, being on podcasts, being at companies, doing presentations. So I've been very outward bound and outward facing to hopefully expose people to the fact that our organization exists and that we're a resource. We obviously get many more speaking engagement invitations beyond that. We do vet those through our communications team. 
But I think that's been one of those things that definitely has impacted or helped us to be known in this industry and to have companies and individuals find us. We also have a very active social presence. So our chapters, our 32 chapters that we have, they're very active on social. We are very active on social. So if you look at examples of our LinkedIn group, for example, that's our most robust community. We have more than 22,000 followers who are part of that LinkedIn group, and it is very active. So when we look at our engagement levels, they are off the charts on LinkedIn. When we look at our competitors and we, we benchmark against other organizations like us, we are definitely at the highest ranking or the top rankings when it relates to contributions and engagement on venues and vehicles like LinkedIn. So I think that's also been a way for us to get found. You know, I think what's unique is that when people come to our annual conference or when they come to a win meeting, they talk about how very genuine and authentic our organization is. Our organization was never started just to make money. Our organization was founded to help women, to help our members, to help this industry. And we've done it in a very thoughtful and authentic and genuine way. And I think the people that come to our conferences and events, they see that. It's a different type of community. And I think I've created this and our staff has supported and created this community that when you go to a WIM conference, I think, and we've heard this from our attendees, it feels like no other manufacturing conference or event that they've gone to. So you've got your annual conference coming up. You call it Summit, Summit 2023. Yes. That's coming up in September. So speaking of conferences, what can we expect that's new at this year's meeting? Yeah, so our conference, it's always a kind of evolving process of how we construct and how we deliver. We're very cautious and we are very responsive to feedback we get. So we always first look at feedback forms to say, okay, what are the things we're doing right? What are the things we can improve for their annual conference? We always want to make it that best experience for our attendees, especially for those first-time attendees. And what we found is that we, again, have adopted and embraced this virtualization and this virtual audience. So we have continued with hybrid. I know a lot of other associations stopped their hybrid as soon as COVID restrictions lifted. We have not. We know that we want to be there for all of these international members that have now connected with our organization. So we've stayed hybrid. I will say the majority of our attendees are live participants. And so what we've done last year and the year, the last few years, we have actually virtualized all of our breakout components. So we have 30 plus educational tracks or breakout sessions we have actually virtualized and live streamed all of those sessions. And then as well, all of our general sessions are live streamed as well. We've also added, in addition to our plant tours that we do live in whatever regional area we are this year, we're in San Diego. We also have done virtual plant tours. So again, those virtual audience participants can experience plant tours, but just in a different way. So again, we're trying to be considerate of all the different people that connect with our organization. We know that we want to be an organization that reaches all people in manufacturing, not just those with big budgets, not just those with high titles. So for us to reach more women in production and in frontline positions, we need to be accessible to them. And so that's why we've really tried to transform our conference to be an accessible conference for all. So other things that we've added, again, we're trying to create new networking opportunities. So we've added streams this year that are more specific to unique audiences. So we have a sponsors and allies stream we have a young professional stream and we have a stream for leadership topics or leadership development, more probably tailored for those who are in leadership positions. And then again, our content, we have an innovation and technology stream to kind of address that area of manufacturing. So again, we've added new interactive elements to the conference. 
We've expanded our exhibit hall experience. So just trying to not reinvent the wheel, but definitely to tinker with Mm. those things that we can improve. And we go to lots of conferences ourselves. As I mentioned, I speak at some, our staff goes to conferences. So we always like to steal some great components that we see at other events and try them with our audience. So Allison, I have many guests on this podcast that represent industries that are just crying for people, women and men. And I see that you have a new partnership with Jobs for the Future to funnel people into registered apprenticeship programs. So tell us about that. Yeah, so we have been working with Jobs for the Future for, I think we're now in year three of our partnership or work with them. So we are an outreach partner on a very sizable grant that they received from the Department of Labor to help create and recruit more individuals into registered apprenticeship programs who are from diverse backgrounds. So that includes women and other individuals to enter into registered apprenticeship programs within their state. So it has been a great relationship. We have gotten to work with some leading educators and implementers and people that do accreditation. And our partnership piece is really on talking about the opportunities that are out there within companies and within these formalized programs to help women advance and to support themselves and their families. So we have very much talked to many of the companies about how to create a program, how to reboot a program that's maybe gone dormant, but then as well as how to promote this to other women who are residing within companies who might want to engage in this type of apprenticeship opportunity. So we talked to graduates of programs, women who are in the programs presently to share how it's impacted their life and their families. And interestingly enough, so many of the women that we've met through some of the video series that we've done have been single moms. So we see that there's an overabundance of women who are often in production level roles who are themselves the primary breadwinner for their family. So we've gotten to highlight through storytelling and very powerful storytelling, I might add, how they've been able to support their families as a single mom through their corporate support in their enrollment in a registered apprenticeship program. I mean, these are portable skills that people are earning while they're on the job. They're learning, obviously, how to support their families. They're looking and seeing pathways for how to advance their careers. So it's been a a really powerful program and we're excited to continue as a partner with Jobs for the Future. And obviously we want to help recruit more women into registered apprenticeship programs. Speaking of storytelling, you have a podcast. Tell us about that. Why did you start a podcast and what's been the result? So we started our podcast a few years ago and I think now we're in episode 25 or 26. Congratulations. Thank you. You know, it was really a passion project of one of our new hire employees who had seen this gap. She herself was passionate about podcasts. I loved it as a listener. And I always thought it'd be cool if we had a podcast, but wasn't sure if we really had the infrastructure with a very small team at the time to launch a whole podcast for ourselves. She though took it on and said, hey, I'm interested. I want to help us achieve this. And so she served as our producer for the first year or so of the podcast. And the goal of it is called Hear His Story. It's meant to be an extension of what we had been doing for many years through a blog series with the same name, where we would interview women, we'd have them tell their story, all with a goal to hopefully inform and inspire people who are either looking for a career or maybe in a manufacturing career, but want to rise to kind of give them a roadmap of what were some of those experiences that these people had along the way. So it has been very powerful to hear these stories of women. And again, we've interviewed women from all different roles in manufacturing. Many are individuals who have risen within manufacturing to kind of talk about their trajectory. What were some of those lessons learned? And again, we've got our future guests coming that 
we're trying to diversify a little bit our guests. We've heard from some of our listeners that they also would like to hear from some early career individuals. Mm. So how did they get recruited into industry? So I know we have some people in the docket to talk about more of that early career journey in manufacturing, and then as well to talk to some organizations that are like-minded to ours and as well to our industry as future guests. So it's been a really rewarding experience and a learning experience because I've never hosted a podcast. I've been a guest on many podcasts, but hosting has been a whole different experience. And so yes. I'm always listening to others and writing down notes of things that I think we should be doing or that we should try on our own podcast. Allison, thank you so much for everything that you shared with us. Wow. I can't believe that you call this cautious growth. <laughs> because you're just blowing up the universe and really making a difference for women in manufacturing. Thank you for sharing what you're doing with regard to your virtual learning, with your chapters, with your recruiting. I hope you'll come back and tell us about all the new and amazing things you're doing in the next year. Well, thank you for having me, Joanna. Thanks for listening to Associations Thrive. We're so glad to have you here. You know, my personal mission and the mission of my company, Matrix Group International, is to help associations and nonprofits increase membership, generate revenue, and thrive in the digital space. I want to hear stories of how your organization is thriving in today's challenging landscape. Please apply to be on my show by going to podcast.matrixgroup.net. By the way, do you need help with a digital initiative? Maybe it's a website redesign, a new membership database, or a hybrid meeting that you're planning. I'd love to connect with you. Please visit the Matrix Group website at matrixgroup.net. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode of Associations Thrive. Don't forget to subscribe to the show, leave a five-star rating, post a comment, and share it with your colleagues and friends. Bye! Bye!